Now, one of the interesting things about the Bible is that there are many passages that discuss the idea of faith, that talk about faith, that talk about uh, the importance of it, that give us stories and examples of what faith looks like for the follower of Christ. But it's in this one verse right here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one, where we find our clearest definition of faith. Now, the definition that we're about to see follows right on the heels of Hebrews chapter number 10, where there's a lot of discussion around the idea of faith. Uh, Here in, in chapter 10, we hear that we are to have an assurance of faith, that we are to hold fast to our profession of faith. We read in there that the just live by faith. And there's several other aspects of chapter 10 that talk about the idea and the subject of faith. And of course, Hebrews 11 itself, if you've been a part of church for any length of time, you know that Hebrews 11 is often called the hall of faith. Have you ever heard that before? You know, we got the hall of fame. Uh, Here's the hall of faith as it lists all of these great believers who lived and made a difference by faith. Um, But before we would come to that and before the author of Hebrews would describe all of those great stories, what we are confronted with here is this definition of faith. Has anyone ever asked you before, what is faith? Have you ever had somebody ask you that? You say you believe in Jesus by faith. Well, what do you mean by that? What is faith? Maybe you yourself have said, I know I'm saved. I have faith in God. But what does that actually mean? Well, we see the definition here in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse number one. It says now faith, this is the the defining attributes of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Why don't you go ahead and say that verse with me together. Ready? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, what the author here in Hebrews wants us to understand is that the person who desires to be a genuine follower of Christ, to that person, faith must be a central and all-encompassing foundation to which they build their lives upon. And we see that in the two ways that he describes what faith is for us. Notice, first of all, he says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, the word substance here means to stand under. It means to support. It means assurance or a guarantee. One author put it this way, faith is to a Christian what a foundation is to a house. It gives confidence and assurance that they will stand. When a believer has faith, it is God's way of giving them confidence and assurance that what is promised, what he talks about, what is hoped for, will be experienced. Now for you and for I, true faith is the most vital supporting element of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, we believe in Christ's salvation by faith, right? Uh, we, uh, it is our faith and that becomes our foundation for all that we do. We know that in Matthew chapter 7, it gives us the illustration of what the two different areas that we can build our lives upon. And we know that if we do not build our life upon the rock, upon our faith, then we know that it's just sifting sand and we're not going to be very secure. If you want to learn what it's like to live life insecure, base all of your confidence on something other than Jesus Christ. And so we know that faith is foundational for us. In fact, Titus chapter 3, verse 7 tells us that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, the foundation of our faith is in our hope, and our hope is in eternal life. Here's the great thing about true faith, is that our true faith is not a hope-so kind of faith. It's not the kind of faith where we walk around saying it might be, it might be true, it might not be true. 
Real faith is not uh, wondering, uh, maybe, uh, maybe not, I think so, I hope so. No, biblical faith, true biblical faith does not deal with what is unreal, imaginary, superficial, or deceptive. Biblical faith, understand, is the knowledge, the experience, and the possession of things that are hoped for. One definition for this word substance is the idea of a title or a deed to a home. Or to a vehicle, you understand that concept? When you get that deed, when it is given to you, that house is yours. And so he's saying that faith, when you have faith, you know that Christ is yours and you have this great hope, this great assurance of what is to come. And so that is why our faith here is described as substance to our lives because you and I must build our lives upon that firm foundation, that solid truth, that hope, that assurity that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he promised to do. You know, if you build your life and your future on anything else, you will struggle. If you build your life upon finances or upon relationships, you build your life upon family, it will not satisfy you. It may satisfy you for a time, but ultimately you will always be coming back and searching for more and more until you ground your faith on the sure object of your faith, which is Jesus Christ. That's the kind of life that can stand the test of time. That's the kind of life that can go through the storms of life. Now, faith is also described in another way. So he says, it is the foundation that we rest our hope upon, but he says it's also here evidence. Notice there in the verse. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Now, the word evidence there means proof uh, or uh, evidence. Obviously, I have the word evidence in there, even though it's evidence. Uh, Proof, evidence, by which a thing is proved or tested or a conviction. Definitely, you can understand it to be our faith here is something that proves. It proves something. Now, here's what I want us to understand. The faith of of God's people, your genuine faith that you have, is proof for the existence of things that we hope for. So stay with me on this, okay? (laughs) Your faith, not only is it what you should build your life upon in its substance, but also it is the proof for what you are building your life upon, what you are hoping for. See, our faith is the evidence of heaven, We have a hope in heaven, don't we? A hope for heaven. Our faith is the evidence for eternal life, for eternal rewards that we hear about in Scripture, for the spiritual realm that is out there, for God himself. And our faith is the evidence not only to yourself, okay, that you truly are saved and that there is a hope of eternal life that is to come and there's a hope, the salvation that Christ did for you, but I want you to also know as well that your faith, your genuine faith, can also be evidence to a lost world around us that does not know Christ and is not seeking Christ. Meaning your faith, the way that it flows out of you, can lead other people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. One author put it this this way, I thought it was so great. He says, faith is like a spiritual sixth sense. Not the movie, all right? (laughs) There's not dead people everywhere, right? All right, okay. (laughs) That's a really old movie, actually. I think it's getting kind of old. But he says, your faith is like a spiritual sixth sense in this sense. Here's what he says. He said, it enables the believer to take firm hold upon the unseen world and bring it into the realm of experience. And he says, "All all of our senses do this. You know, the eye takes hold of light waves and, uh, that pulsate through space, and they make real to a person the things that they see. Uh, the ear picks up sound waves and translates them into hearing. 
There's a whole spectrum of waves beyond the range of our senses that we cannot see and we cannot hear, we cannot taste, we cannot smell them, we cannot feel them. There's all of these waves all around us that we don't know are there, but they are real and with instruments and with our, our body, we can sense them and we begin to realize and recognize that they are very much real. See, faith reaches out into the spiritual dimension. And faith gives form and substance to heavenly and spiritual realities in such a way that the soul can appreciate them and grasp them and live in enjoyment of them. You know, just like when you're outside and, and, or you're looking out the window and you see the trees moving, you understand that the wind is blowing and moving the trees. In the same way, true faith in the life of a Christian cannot be ignored because it has power to influence and point others to a saving faith in Jesus Christ uh, ourselves because, because our faith is the evidence of things not seen. Our faith points others to Christ. Our faith proves our hope. It is our substance. It is our hope. And it is the evidence of the true follower of Jesus Christ. Many of you uh, maybe recognize this man. His name is Monty Williams. And he was last year's coach of the year in the NBA for the Phoenix Suns. He led them into the playoffs. They went quite deep into the playoffs. And uh, actually, they went all the way to the NBA finals, didn't they? No, they did not. Never mind. I don't know, sorry, what I'm talking about. I thought they did, but they did not. But he led them to the best record they've ever had, and so he was named NBA Coach of the Year. But one of the things that most people, well, a lot of people do know about him, maybe you didn't know about Monty Williams, is that he is, in fact, a Christian. He's a very strong believer uh, in the Lord. And several years ago, that was proven as he himself went through a very difficult tragedy that God used in his life to reveal the strength of his faith to the world. It was just a few years ago as he was an assistant coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder that his wife, Ingrid, of 20 years, was killed in a car accident by a woman who crossed a center lane going 120 kilometers in a 60 zone and hit their vehicle, killing Ingrid, their family dog, and injuring three of their five children. And it was a terrible tragedy, of course. But I want to show and share with you just a few minutes of the eulogy that he gave at his wife's funeral, because I really do believe it's, it's a proof for us of how someone's faith can be evidence to a lost world that God is at work in their lives. And so I'm going to go ahead and play that video here for you. You know, when I watch that video and am reminded of that story, I think for all of us, we are confronted with his faith. He's a man of faith. That he is somebody who, even in a great tragedy, still made it a point to talk about forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. And the reason I share that with you today is because I believe his life and his testimony so clearly and powerfully articulates the power of the evidence of faith in the life of the Christian. And the reason I want us to see this and just sort of get this in our minds is because this is what God wants for all of us, not just in moments of great tragedy, but in the day-to-day life, God wants us to be people that that it just flows out of us, the evidence of our faith. So the question for us this morning is very simple. How can our faith become the proof, the evidence that points other people to Jesus Christ? How can you and I live a life that just our faith just flows out of us, that we are the evidence of the things that are not seen? Now, these are the questions that we are going to answer uh, during this series, this teaching series that will be in over the next several weeks. 
And these are questions that I want for us to walk through together and learn how our secure faith can serve as evidence to a lost world that God can use to make a difference, not only in your life and in those that you love and those that are close to you, but also how God can use our church to make a difference in our city. So this morning, what I want to do is just share with you two foundational practical thoughts on faith and how through our faith, we can start down the path of becoming the evidence that anyone would need to point their lives towards Christ as well. And this morning is very foundational, it's very simple, but I believe these are truths that we need to be reminded of as we enter into this study together. The first thought that I want us to, uh, to know and to understand is, first of all, you need to place your faith in Jesus. If you're going to be a person of faith, you need to place your faith in Jesus. You know, the single greatest decision that any individual could ever make is to place their trust and faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ for their sins and eternity. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, that word begotten is interesting, and it's, 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 it's very powerful because it, what it means is that there were no other siblings. It means that there was no one else. It means that this is the only son as well. It also means that this son is equal to the father. Now we know this is a very important truth for us as believers that Jesus is God and he is equal to the father. And so he sent someone who was equal to himself, who had the same power as himself, and he sent him that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There are no quantifying statements to this. Whoever would place their faith and trust in Jesus can be saved. You know, Jesus could have come to this earth as a judge, couldn't he? He could have come and just, I mean, just destroyed us, condemned us, as, as Niza even talked about today. We deserve nothing, but instead he came in love, and he came for you and for me, and he laid down his life to take the penalty of our sins. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it tells us, for the wages of sin is death. What we have earned for our sin and our rebellion against God is death. That's eternal death. Not only death in this life, but eternal separation from God. And that is what we have earned for our rebellion against a holy, righteous God. But I love the second part of the verse where it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. This here is the gospel that we need to understand and get in our hearts that, listen, God came to this earth because he loved you and he wanted to give you the gift of eternal life. And so he took the penalty of death. He died on our behalf. And in doing so, he provided a way for you and I to find forgiveness and an eternal home in heaven when we leave this earth. This is the message of the gospel. And the way that you can receive this is by simply turning away from your self-sufficiency, repenting of your sin, uh, turning away from the ideology that somehow you can earn your way to heaven, or maybe you have this idea of, of who God is, and I'm sure he's, he's going he's gonna to be fine and just let me into heaven no matter how I live. And you have this whole idea theology that's based off of a worldly culture or based off of what you think it should be and not based off of the word of God. What we know from scripture is that we need a savior. We need a savior and his name is Jesus. And so we can turn to him in faith. In Isaiah 45, speaking to uh, Israel, he says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. See, Jesus is the one that we can look to for I am God and there is none else. You know, this verse was used in the life of Charles Spurgeon to bring about his conversion to the faith. And of course, God used him in a great way. But the message is still clear and the calling is still true today. Jesus is saying, look unto me. Maybe you today have never called upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never made him the one who could save you from your sins. You've never put your faith and trust in him and in him alone for your eternity. I want to ask you today, would you make that decision today? Would you place your faith in Jesus Christ. 
See, the difference between perishing and living, between condemnation and salvation, is faith in Jesus Christ. And so the first step on the path of faith is simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ. But I do want to make sure that we understand today that your faith is only as strong as the object of your faith. Your faith is only as strong as the object of your faith. You know, we place our faith in a lot of different things, don't we? You are right now putting faith in that chair that you're sitting in. I won't tell you which one I cut the legs through halfway. I'm joking. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Everyone's nervous now. But you're putting faith in that chair. When you came here, maybe you got in a car, you got into a bus, uh, hopefully somebody that nicely trained, right? And you got in a bus and, uh, and you came here by vehicle and you placed your faith in that vehicle. When you at night go to bed and you lay in your bed, you're putting faith in your house. Uh, you're putting faith in our city as you travel about our city and, 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 and go to school and go to work and you're putting your faith in those things. But in every one of those cases, those objects that we place our faith in have a breaking point. One day these chairs will wear out. One day these chairs will no longer be able to sustain the weight of an individual. Uh, The car that you are in could meet an object equal or as strong or, or greater in strength. The house that you are in, a fire or a falling tree can reveal the vulnerability of your home, and an earthquake or a hurricane, as we've seen these last uh, this last week, can expose the weakness of a city. Now listen, I share that with you because when it comes to the object of our faith, to Jesus, there's no calamity, there's no hardship, there's no weakness in him at all whatsoever. Because we're not just placing our faith in a man or an ideology or or, or some sort of a humanistic idea. We are placing our faith in the creator of the universe, God himself, who cannot change, who cannot fail, who does not lie, and we can trust him. And so the object of your faith needs to equal the strength of your faith. And so your faith is not in anything else, but is in Christ and in Christ alone. And before we can move on, we need to make sure that our faith is in Christ. And I love Romans 10, 13 that tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the starting point. The starting point is trusting Christ for your eternity. And so I ask you, are you saved today? Are you saved today? You say, Pastor, I'm sitting in church. Of course I'm saved. That sitting in church doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything at all. My question is, is if you personally place your faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone for your eternity, that is the first step. Now, for those of you that have followed Christ and you say today, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I know that heaven is my home, I want to tell you this is not the end. Your salvation, your day of salvation is not the end. We are not to just be passive But our faith is to be a continuing, developing, revealing kind of faith. And so we look back again at verse 11 where he says that it is the evidence, our faith is the substance that we build our life on, that is the substance, the foundation of our eternity, but it is also then the evidence of things not seen, meaning it is an evidence to a lost world, which brings me to our second point, which is so very simple today, very simple today, which is make your faith a priority. Make your faith a priority. Maybe some of you have never taken the time to make your faith a priority in your life. Listen, we all have priorities in life, don't we? We all do. If I was to talk to you for 10 minutes, I bet you I could figure out what your priorities are in life. Guaranteed. It's amazing how that just flows from out of us. But if there's going to be a tangible evidence to this world and in our city and in our communities of God and of his work in our life, then there must come a time where it becomes a priority in our thoughts, in our decisions, and in our actions. 
Now, Jesus made it very clear for us in explaining this to us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, where he told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus here speaking is very clear where he says that the first and highest priority in the life of the believer should be to pursue and prioritize the kingdom of God. And when we do that, all of these things, he says, all these things shall be added unto you. You might be saying, well, what are these things that he's talking about? Well, you just have to look back at the two verses previous to that where he talks about why are you worrying about, why are you giving thought to the next day that is to come? Why are you worrying about food or clothing or where you're going to stay? And so what he's trying to say is that, listen, if you seek the kingdom of God first, then all of the cares of this life is essentially what he's saying. All of the things that we worry about and stress about and and make such a big deal, he says, listen, all of those things will be added and will just be taken care of. See, what God wants us to understand this morning is that rather than putting everything else before God and only turning to God in times of crisis, that we would seek him first and allow all of the other aspects of our life to just flow along behind him as the priority. It's a really interesting aspect of the Christian life. And I'll tell you this, it can be proven by just testing this out. But there's an interesting aspect in the Christian life, and that is this. If you put God first, if you put your faith first, everything works out. Some of you are like, yeah, right. I don't believe you, pastor. Then try it. I dare you. I dare you, try it. Try making God a priority above anything else and see how everything else falls into place. I mean, that was the testimony of Coach Williams there. He was saying, he says, this is going to work out. It's going to be okay. God is going to use this. Now, I I reached out to him, but I couldn't get him to come to church today and share his testimony. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Because I'd like to have a follow-up. He's kind of busy getting ready for the season, you know. I'd like to have a bit of a follow-up with him and see how God has worked in the last, I think it's been about four or five years since that took place. But it's so interesting that when we put God first, everything else falls into place. Sometimes it's in a financial situation that we're struggling in. And when we choose to put God first, God just provides miraculously. Sometimes it's in stressful situations that we are in and we put God first and he just seems to work out the other details relationships, uh, different individuals that we're involved in. Listen, don't lose sight of the fact that God is interested in you. He loves you with an everlasting love, and he's promised. That's a promise to us that he will provide and take care of you if you would just simply put him first in your life. Jesus put it even uh, in a different way later in Luke chapter 14. He said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You're like, wait, Jesus said what? (laughs) No, he said this. He said this. Now, these verses, you're saying, what is he trying to say? Jesus is saying here, put me first. Put me first. And a believer's devotedness to Jesus Christ should be such that in comparison, it seems like everything else is hated. Is what he's saying. He says, your devotion to God should be so strong that to an outside observer, it'd be like, man, he really doesn't like me very much. He loves God so much. (laughs) Now, of course, Luke 10 tells us 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So we know there's comparison scriptures here, and we're going to compare scripture with scripture. If you truly love God, then you'll love your neighbor, and you'll love your spouse, and you'll love your sister, and you'll love your family members, family members, and you'll love your coworker, and you'll love your boss, right? Because you're pursuing God first. You'll love your boss, Braden, I promise. He said, oh, when I said that. I hope they're not watching on live stream, right? <clears throat> But if we are going to be a people whose faith is living evidence of who God is and what he has done for us, then we must be willing to put our faith, our relationship with Christ at a more prominent point than what it is right now. So can you truly say that your faith is a higher priority than your job? Can you say, if we were to have a conversation after church, say, Pastor, you know what? I just want you to know that my faith is a higher priority than the school that I'm in right now and all my classes that I'm taking. My faith, my walk with God is at a higher priority than the relationships that I'm in. By the way, I'll tell you this. If you put God first in your relationship, that's the best thing you can do. So married, those of you who hope to be married, that's the way to go about it. Jesus first, and he'll work out that relationship so much better, so much better than you could do it on your own. Maybe a trial or a sorrow like we just heard about. Maybe a difficulty, a great pain. I promise you, if you would make your faith and your pursuit of God a priority, he will add these things unto us. But we must prioritize our God. We must be willing to make our faith a priority. It's so interesting that when we prioritize the word of God, when we make him first place, when we surround ourselves with people and put ourselves in a church where uh, others are loving God and helping you to grow in your faith and to keep that as the main focus, when you put people and allow people to speak into your life, to ask you how you're doing, to uh, uh, try to keep you accountable to walking with the Lord, when you will do those things and you add that into your life, what is amazing is that you will soon begin to establish routines and patterns that will prioritize your faith and then you'll be able to serve God in a greater way. You'll be more obedient to him when he speaks to you. You'll be faithful uh, to the things of God when, when you have that opportunity. But if you're unwilling to give it a try, if you're unwilling to adjust your life to give God a priority, then your faith will cease to become the evidence that it is meant to be. But we must be willing to put our faith first, prioritize it. If you don't do that, here's what happens. Your faith becomes the backdrop to everything else that is in front of you. Now, we can be honest with each other this morning because we're friends here, but how many times have we lived life where our faith was just sort of in the background to everything else that we had going on? This pain that I'm in, this struggle that I'm dealing with, this relationship that I'm trying to make work, this, uh, this, uh, this financial crisis, everything else in my life, my work, my, my school, my ambitions, everything I'm trying to do, it's at the forefront and our faith is at the back. Let's be honest. You can nod your head. I'm nodding my head because that's been me. That's been me. So many times in my life where I have to reevaluate and I have to readjust. God's call for us is that our faith would be a priority so that we could be the evidence to a lost world. I remember when I was a kid, we had some family friends that we used to go visit. And you know, when you're a kid, you're not super observant. Have you noticed that? Oh, well, most of you aren't kids. So anyway, those kids up there, they're not very observant, you know? My, there's the, the, the odd kid that is observant, but we had these friends that we used to go visit when I was young. We had to travel to go and see them, and, and I remember, the, like, we used to go every year at least, for a, at least for three or four days and spend time with this family, and I never really noticed it, but as I got older, and especially as I headed into my teen years, what I began to notice is that their house was a little bit strange. 
As a kid, I didn't really notice, but I got older. And you know what was strange about it is that when you came up the stairs into the living room, the only way that you could get to the couch, the only way you could get to the, living, or to the kitchen or to the dining room is if you walked this narrow pathway between stacks of magazines that were everywhere. Today, we would call them a hoarder, right? You've heard of that before? <laughs> That's what they were. <laughs> I didn't know it at the time. I thought, man, they got a lot of stuff. This is awesome, you know? VHS tapes and National Geographics and, I mean, so much stuff. Boxes in their, just in the middle of their living room, and you had to walk this little pathway, and if somebody else came the other way, you had to back up so that they could get through. It's like an airline, you know, <laughs> like an aisle in an airline. And, uh, and as I think back at, over those years, and, and as I finally began to take notice, and as I started to stop wanting to go to their house uh, to visit, uh, and there's so much stuff in this house, one of the things that I don't remember anything else about that house. It was in a great neighborhood. It was a big house. It was way bigger than the house that we lived in. But I don't remember anything about the niceness of it because it was so full of junk. It was so full of junk. All of the things that they had laying around took away from the beauty of the home. The point I'm trying to make is that when we prioritize anything else above our faith in Christ, we take the focus off and the glory off of God who deserves the glory, and then we put it on what we decide it should be put on. And we glory in our our education, we glory, glory in our finances, and we glory in our job, and we glory in our kids, or we glory in our family. Remember what Hebrews 11, 6 says, that is without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The simple fact is, is that without faith, we cannot please God and we are not gonna have faith that please God unless it is a priority. Unless we are people who are seeking after God, giving him first place in our lives, living with eternal values in mind. Now, Coach Williams is a man who walks by faith. He's a man who is living. It is obvious in his testimony that he is living with eternal values in mind. My question for us this morning is really simple. As we begin this journey of faith together, could you say right now that your life, that your faith, that your walk with God is evidence for the existence of God? Could you say right now and you're being honest with yourself. If you're not honest with anybody else. Be honest with yourself today and with God. And answer that question. Is my life, is my faith evidence for God? Maybe you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. I would ask you, would you make that decision today? Would you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? And for those of us that know the Lord, are you living with eternal values? Like I said at the beginning, this is a very simple message. This is foundational for the series as we continue. So I hope you'll come back next week as we continue this and and start to add on to this, what it looks like to make our faith a priority. But the question this morning is just very simple. Are you saved? And is your faith a priority?